Oh, the pressure burns. I think at night she'll look more like her. Like she got it all figured out. And because of the size of her thighs and the pout on her mouth. Welcome to No Makeup, a podcast sharing authentic stories of really cool women who sign up to honestly and bravely tell us their stories. We believe stories can do a lot. They inspire, they console, and they shape our understanding of the world. So welcome as we interview women we admire and ask them to figuratively and literally, if they want to, take off their makeup and tell stories from the heart. Our podcast is proudly recorded at Vermont Public Radio. Welcome to No Makeup. I'm your host, Tiffany Bloomley, and I'm joined in the studio by producer Marissa Parisi and our guest, Sister Janice Ryan. Today we'll talk with Janice about her attraction to religious life and her work in the community. Sister Janice took her vows over 50 years ago as a Sister of Mercy. She's a giant in our community, not just because of the ways in which she herself has shaped policy and practice and education, corrections, nuclear disarmament, but also because of all those she has mentored over the years. Welcome, Janice. You're welcome, and it's a wonder I'm still alive. <laughs> in the name of the Father, and of the Son, <laughs> and of the Holy Spirit. This is more a Hail Mary kind of show. Oh, <laughs> a Hail Mary pass? She's a Catholic. I am, I am a Catholic. Yeah. Well, product of Catholic mm-hmm. elementary schools. Right. Product of Catholic school, yeah. yeah. So at the ripe age of, were you 18, you decided to um, take your initial vows with the Sisters of Mercy. After high school, I entered the Sisters of Mercy. You don't take vows initially. Um, At that time, this is in the 50s, that was quite common for young women after high school uh, to if if they chose to enter religious community, that was a common age to do so. And how did you come to choose religious life? I was I had two great aunts who were doctors, and they were my models, and had a great story of how they got to be that. Um, I viewed myself undoubtedly going to college and for medical school. At the same time, I think, at least for some people, at in that era, and at least for me, there was a whisper that had started when I was a senior in high school and a whisper that I didn't want to hear. Getting up at 5.30 in the morning for a lifetime was beyond my imagination, much less desire. So just the thought of a religious vocation wasn't one that thrilled me. And so when I say it was a whisper, that's what it was, and a whisper that became louder and it was a whisper that I finally listened to at the end of my senior year, and I entered uh, the following fall. And what drew you to the Sisters of Mercy? 
their spirit. And say more about that. Uh, their spirit. Are you talking about the the way in which they embrace life? Uh, no, it was their spirit. You have to think now in terms of high school. So you don't necessarily have the words at that time of what it is. You don't, you know you've been exposed to social justice, but you don't know that that's part of the package that's drawing you. So I wasn't being facetious when I said there's overall spirit. You've had a remarkable and diverse career. You've been college president. Uh, you've served on a Senate staff. You uh, have been a teacher, an activist, and, uh, and very active in the developmental disability fields, and were deputy commissioner at the Department of Corrections. So is there a theme that connects these careers? Uh, yes, there is. Social justice. It took me a while myself to figure that out uh, because if you looked at the resume, one might think, excluding being at Trinity, you couldn't keep a job. Um, I was at Trinity, in fact, a total of 27 years, 17 of which were president. But I came there to develop the uh, special education teacher program. And what, of all of the things you've done, what has been most satisfying? That's, I would find an impossible question to answer. One thing led to the other. And that was constant throughout my life. So... It wasn't as a sister of mercy, I said, we are about social justice. And that goes back to your earlier question around what does spirit of the sisters of mercy mean? And social justice is right at the top of that list. So I didn't have like a career plan and in the early days, as a Sister of Mercy, you received assignments every August. You got a little slip, and it told you where you were going to be the following year. So part of my early life as a Sister of Mercy was by assignment. When did you stop getting assignments? And after Vatican II. Hmm. Tiff, do you mind if I ask a question? This is Marissa. Not at all. Only because, uh, as Tiff mentioned to you, Sister Janice, I went to Catholic school. I had a very positive experience in the Catholic Church, which not oh, everybody tells real positive stories. But I had a very positive experience and was always really inspired by service and was particularly inspired by a Sister of Mercy in high school, which I think really influenced me in taking the path that I did in working in social justice myself. But one of the things I admire most about the Sisters of Mercy is I feel like um, your order has a real courage to often engage in civil disobedience when it gets us um, when something is so unjust that you stand up in that way. 
And I was wondering if you had any stories that you could share with our listeners about a time that you may be engaged in civil disobedience on a particular issue with the Sisters of Mercy and really made some change. Uh, you are uh, correct, Marissa, that the Sisters of Mercy have often been engaged in civil disobedience. Uh, I'm thinking myself of the Vietnam War. Uh, we were of Sisters of Mercy, in particular, Sister Elizabeth Candon at that time was a leader in that effort, but joined by uh, many of us. So locally, that's an event that stands out. Um, I'm thinking of our sisters that work full-time in ecology. And Sister Mary Pendergrass, who uh, lives in Rhode Island, but is often, uh, I can't say that they're all civil disobedience, but they are all on the edge in protesting, uh, usually things related to water or fracking. You don't just get up one day as a Sister of Mercy and say, oh, I think I'll go raise a placard, uh, Sisters of Mercy, protest, whatever. Uh, it doesn't work that way. We meet uh, every six years as a body believe it or not, agree upon the agenda and have delegates, usually to uh, the legislative session. And at that session, then look at policies and different sis individual sisters or group of sisters may bring policies to the front. I think there are six critical concerns, trafficking being one of them, uh, anything to do with the ecology being another, and fracking would come under that. So as a Sister of Mercy, I could hold a sign in relation to trafficking and know that I have the whole community behind me, even though I'm the one standing there. So you were president of Trinity College for 17 years and therefore, as you said, 28. And I'm wondering what you think uh, the future of single-sex education is. Great question. I have a passion for a woman's education. I have always said, from the college perspective, what's good for a woman is good for men too. So you have women's colleges who by their founding and culture, I often said at Trinity, the University of Vermont is wonderful, St. Michael's is wonderful, Burlington College is wonderful, they're all good. They differ in their culture and the culture at Trinity, founded by women, for women, is different. It's a cultural difference, and it fits some people better than others. And part of that culture, when you have for uh, young girls or women, there are some things that you 
cannot replicate. And that's being in a class where you feel safe and learn to acquire your confidence. It doesn't mean you didn't have confidence, but it never flourished or might not have been encouraged or you didn't have the opportunity to hear that voice within you. And once you heard it, you flew. Just seeing what evolved in those classrooms in terms of the mentoring, the relationships, the blossoming. So all kinds of stories, but um, memorable and wonderful things happen in, in particularly in math and science, the opportunities, uh, the blossoming of women in those two areas as a result of single-sex education. It can happen as well at the University of Vermont, but it happens in a special way in the culture of a women's college. I want to ask a question that we ask every guest. What do you wish that you had known at 21 that might have made a difference for you? Put another way, what advice would you give to a 21-year-old starting her life? I think I would have one bottom line. Be yourself, be true to yourself, and be of service and love as hard as you can. It's a beautiful way to end an interview. Thank you, Sister Janice, for joining us today. But I might not be finished. I hope you're not. I hope you're not. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the No Makeup Podcast. Tiffany Bloomley is your host, and I'm your producer, Marissa Parisi. Our theme music is written and performed by Giovannina Bucci, and we are proud and grateful to partner with Vermont Public Radio on the production of our podcast. You can hear previous episodes by looking us up on iTunes or SoundCloud or on our website, nomakeuppodcast.com. On our website, you will find cool links and more info about our guests. Sponsors for this episode include Elida Duncan, who did the awesome No Makeup logo, and our friends at Lang Roxbury and Wool. One last note, we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions on guests or topics, head on over to our contact page on our website, Facebook page, or Twitter feed and tell us what you think. Remember, nomakeuppodcast.com. Makeup, no mask. No makeup, no mask. Run is some my skin. This beautiful vessel I, I'm living in